thank you for listening to the weekly message at First Baptist Church in Bushland, Texas. Last week we looked at customized Christianity. Uh, customized Christianity, specifically those of us who want to leave out things in Scripture that we don't like. Uh, we talked primarily the, the doctrine of the fear of God, the attribute of God, of fearing who He is, ex- experiencing His personal his, his love in a personal relationship, but recognizing that He's an all-consuming fire, that He's the ruler of the universe. Today we want to, we want to look at the idea, the false idea, but the idea of control freak uh, Christianity. How many of you would honestly say, that you, you like to be in control. How many of you, raise your hands, you like to be in control. Uh, if you find yourself moved to raise the hand of the person next to you, um, you're the one that, that likes to be in control. How, how many of you um, have to have control of the remote, whether it's live TV or DVR, how many of you have to con- have control of the remote? Yeah, uh, my wife does. Um, how many of you... How many of you are always the ones who pick the restaurant when the family goes out to eat? You, you always end up being the one to pick the, pick the restaurant. Yeah. How many of you always have to drive the car if you're of, of drivable age? Yeah. Or the golf cart. I always have to drive the golf cart. I told the first service, sometimes if Lee's driving, he'll just wander off to a different hole, you know. We'll be talking and he'll get distracted. And so um, <laughs> if you're not driving and you're a control freak, you're sitting in the passenger seat or in the back seat, and you're judging the other person's driving the whole time, right? Yeah, you know it's true. Some of you are ready for an invitation right now. Let's pray together and we'll be through. We'll be finished. Some of us today would be honest and say that I, I have to be in control. But unfortunately, this bleeds over into our spiritual lives as well, doesn't it? It ends up bleeding over into our spiritual lives and... Um, that's not a good thing. There are some parts of our lives where it's easy for us to trust God, and there are other areas of our lives where it's difficult, difficult for us to give up control. In fact, some, some areas of our lives, it seems almost impossible for us to give control to God. So what we're talking about today is this. There are those who believe in God, but don't trust Him fully. There are those who believe in God, but don't trust him fully. That's a, those are some blanks there, people. Let's go. <laughs> Snap to it. There are those who believe in God, but don't trust him fully. I, some would say, I believe in God, but I don't want to surrender everything to him. There are some things I still want to control. And another word for control in your life is worry. And worry happens when you try to control that which is out of your control. That's worry. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, God's people were about to cross the Jordan River to take possession of the land, but God wanted them to understand that based upon their behavior, they could never inherit the land. They were receiving this blessing not because they were good, but because God was good. Not because they believed, but simply because God had chosen them to be his people. You remember the story. How many spies were there that went in to investigate the land? There were 12. And how many, how many voted to follow God's will? Two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, I grew up a Baptist, and us Baptists, we used to vote about everything. You know what brand of crackers for the nursery, and we're going to get red cups or white styrofoam cups. I mean, we used to vote about all kinds of ridiculous stuff. And early on, as a young pastor, I recognized 
I might not, according to this text in Deuteronomy, I might not want to, <laughs> I might not want to, um, to vote with the majority. You know, it was ten to two, right? What happened because of the ten who didn't believe? Based on their testimony and this un- unbelief, they couldn't control what was what was happening in the promised land. They couldn't believe that God could destroy and take away these people who were giants in their eyes. And, and so God literally just had them wander around out in the wilderness until that unbelieving generation died off. You know how long it took? Forty years. Forty years. The entire journey, God says, up to this point we're about to read in Deuteronomy 9.23, had nothing to do with you and everything to do with me, God says. Notice what he says, Deuteronomy 9.23. Go up and take possession of the land I have given you. That's what he told them to do, but they didn't do it. He says, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And notice how he says it here. You did not trust him or or obey him. You didn't trust God fully or do what he told you to do, what he led you to do. You did not trust him or obey him. Some Christians who've been in church a long time, could we say 40 years? Maybe. Some Christians who've been in church a long time, we find ourselves in a holding pattern as it relates to the will of God because we have not trusted and obeyed in some area of our lives that He's clearly told us to give up control. Now, I haven't been doing this for very long, coming up on 30 years. Some of you have been saved longer than I've been involved in ministry. But in, in churches over the years, I've seen people who are in a holding pattern Because many, 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 many years before, God told them to do something, and they did not trust Him fully, and they did not obey. So the problem with many of us is we have what some call a partially surrendered life, a partially surrendered life. We're going to give God some parts of our lives, but we're not going to trust Him with everything. Look at this PSV translation of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's on the screen. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In some of your ways, acknowledge Him, and you could make your own paths straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 PSV version. Some of you are like, that doesn't sound like the Bible. What? Well, obviously it's not the Bible, is it? But unfortunately, it's the verse in translation that too many people live their lives by, the partially surrendered version. Yeah, the PSV The partially surrendered version. Now write this down in your notes if you haven't already. I'll give God some things, but not everything. I'll give God some things, but not everything. That statement applies to every one of us here today in some way. Doesn't it? Don't we all believe from Scripture way more than we do? I mean, some of us in here have been in church so long, we could get 100 on any kind of biblical test you could offer. I got a question for you. How many sons did Gideon have? I'm the only one that could get a 100 then. He had 64 sons. 64 sons. I'm assuming not with the same woman, because that would be a lot, right? 64 sons, all right. So maybe we couldn't all get a 100 on everything, but you understand the point here. God, I'll give you some things, but not everything. I'll give you Sundays... I'll give you an hour on Sunday, and maybe Wednesday I'll come to, to women's ministry or men's ministry or the youth group or, 
or, or kids' ministry. God, I, I might even give you a couple hours a week, but don't ask me to take you to work. God, I'll give you the first part of my day. I'll have a quiet time. I'll open my Bible and pray, and I'll, I'll have a quiet time every day to begin my day, but don't you mess with my money. I'll give you my heart in saving faith, and I know, God, that I can't get to heaven without you, but I, I'm going to decide my kids' present and their futures. I'll set their agenda, Lord. And here's the thing. God has a purpose for your life, but you are never going to fully experience it if you are holding back. If you hold back anything from God, you're going to be at a brick wall in your faith journey. Let me say that again. God has a purpose for your life, but you're never going to experience that purpose if you hold anything back from Him you are going to be at a brick wall in your journey of faith. The Old Testament version of that was the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You say, God wouldn't do that. Well, he has done it. He is doing it. He will continue to let you wander in distrust and disobedience if that's what you choose. Let's say it again. If I hold back, I'm at a brick wall. Unfortunately, this gets into the way we think, into the attitudes of our hearts, doesn't it? We might not say this kind of stuff out loud, but sometimes we can begin to think, well, God, it looks like, sure looks like you're answering their prayers, but I've got some prayers that you don't seem to, to answer too much. God, I, I believe in saving grace, but unfortunately, I don't experience your mercy on a day-to-day -day basis like so-and-so does. That's control freak Christianity. I'll trust you, God, with some things, but not every God, everything. I believe in God, but I don't trust Him fully. Charles Blondin, some of you recognize that name, on June 30th, 1859. June 30th, 1859. That's not him. The black and white pictures I tried to put up there, you couldn't see very good out there, but that's a guy crossing Niagara Falls on tightrope. Charles Blondin did it June 30th, 1859 for the first time. 160 feet up above the Niagara Falls area and almost a quarter of a mile across the tightrope. The first time he just walks across the tightrope, you know, right? With the thing. He walks across the tightrope. He does it again later, a second time, and he goes across on stilts. Stilts. I don't know what kind of stilts. I kind of have like drywall stilts in my mind. He goes across on stilts. The third time he goes across in a burlap sack. You know, like potato sack races? Somehow, I guess he scoots, I don't, goes across in a burlap sack, sack. Fourth time, he walks out about halfway, he's got a backpack on, he kneels down, he pulls some stuff out of his backpack, a little Bunsen burner or whatever, the old version of it, and, and makes an omelet out of eggs, eats the omelet, puts his stuff back and finishes the rest of the journey across the tightrope across Niagara. The fifth time... He walks across the tightrope pushing a wheelbarrow full of potatoes. Of course, in the old days, it was all newspaper writers, right? No cameras. And, and he's in, and no video cameras. And one of the newspaper writers says this to Blondin when he finishes with the wheelbarrow full of potatoes. He says, I believe you could safely push a man in that wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls. Blondin says, you really believe that? The writer says, I really believe that. Blondin says, I think you're right. Get in. Let's go. There's a biblical version of this in Matthew chapter 14, isn't there? J 
Jesus had sent the disciples on ahead, and they're in the boat, and the storms are, you know, the wind's blowing, the waves are up, and Jesus comes out to them walking on the water, and Peter sees him and says, Lord, if that's you, I want to get in. And Jesus says, let's go, Peter, come on now, jump in. And Peter takes off, right? You, you know the story. Jesus says, get to stepping, Big Pete. Most of us read that or hear that again, and we go, we go uh, you know, I want to live that kind of miraculous life. Or we hear a testimony in church and we say, I want to experience the power of God like that. But let's be honest. Most of us are too freaked out to even get near the edge of the bow of the boat, much less put our foot in the water. We say, Lord, you know, if you can just bring the bow of this boat down a little, i got short legs. Let's bring it on down a little where I can easily get over. And God, if you'll, just, if you'll just calm the wind and the waves first, if you'll do that. The Lord, the water looks calm, but could you just kind of make it jello? I, can, I think I can walk on jello. God, would you just make the conditions perfect for me? And, and then, then I'll come out walking out on the water with you. That's not going to happen, is it? There are too many variables, we, most of us, that are out of, too many variables that are out of our comfort zone, out of our control. I can't control. Let's face it. Most of us are never going to touch the water, much less actually walk on it. God, I'll trust you with some things, but I won't trust you with everything. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me say this. Some part of this message or this text has already, has already engaged you a little bit. And maybe you recognize that you're, you're lacking in your faith. You're not trusting God fully. Let me tell you something. You're, you're not alone. You are not alone. In Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, we have a father who brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. Now, at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, it's when Jesus and Peter, James, and John are up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember that? And they eventually come down. But while they're up there, this guy's got a son who's demon-possessed. He brings him to the other disciples and asks them to cast out the demon, and they can't do it. So Jesus comes down with the big three, and the, the guy brings his son to Jesus. And he says this to him, starting in the second part of verse 22 in Mark 9. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And I love the sarcasm here in Jesus' voice in my mind. If you can, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, there's a Mark word. If you, if you want to study a cool study in Mark, go f- search and find all the immediately's and see what happens after that. Verse 24, here's one of them. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus goes on to deliver the boy uh, from the demon. But you know why I love this scripture? You know why I love this passage? Because my, my, my faith is imperfect. Is yours? My faith is flawed in some areas. My faith is lacking. There are times when I'm fully submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And then sometimes I start to take stuff back. Do you? I love this passage because the Word of God gives me permission to believe in God and then to also ask Him to help my unbelief where I don't trust Him. I can ask Him to give me faith in places where I don't trust anyone but myself. I I can say, God, would you replace this control freak Christianity, this worry, would you replace it with true biblical Christianity, a true, make me a true follower of Jesus. The man said to Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. 
Now I want to ask you to get real honest today. Get honest today. Everybody in here has something in their life that you just can't let go of in faith. Everybody in here has something in their life that you just can't let go of in faith. What is it? What is it? The Holy Spirit has a big toolbox. And he's using one of his tools to remind you. He brought to the consciousness of your mind what it is that you're hanging on to, that you're worrying about, that you're trying to control, that is out of your control. I want you to write that down there. Get your pen out. Call it out. Literally. Call it out. Write it down. Flip that puppy over. It's time to quit filling in the circles. Write down in the blanks there. A big blank. I don't fully trust God with. What is, it? what is it? Is it your kids? Is it their present or their future that you think you have to control? Because God's not really good at parenting. Some of you wake up every day with fear and anxiety. You have a hard time not believing that bad things are going to happen that day to you or somebody that you love. It's hard for you to believe that God is actually with you, that God is actually for you, and that God actually has some good for you that day. Some of you live in that fear and anxiety. For others, it's money. You don't trust anybody else with money, with your money, and you're not going to trust God. For some of you, it's an addiction. You think you can handle that addiction, but you have no control. What is it you're hanging on to with white knuckles? What is it? I don't fully trust God with. Honesty is the beginning of liberation. That's not pop psychology, that's Jesus. Jesus said it this way, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But so many of us are living in our own created prisons of worry. We've built this prison of worry, this prison of being a control freak, of holding back of trying to hide things from God. So how do we develop a wholehearted trust in Christ if that's us? I'm glad you asked. Look at the real translation of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's on the screen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. In your marriage, with your kids, in your job, in your money, in all your ways acknowledge him. Now, this is interesting. The Hebrew word for translated here as acknowledge, some translations out there may have submit or other words. The Hebrew word translated acknowledge is yada. Yada. You can say yada. That's what my daughter says. She goes to a Bible study in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma State, called Yada. It's a big group of kids that get together every week and study the deep things of God. It's a great ministry. She also goes to the table at a, at a Christian church there in town. Uh, when she started as a freshman, I said this first service, I may need her to ride home. Uh, when she started as a freshman, she went to these Bible studies and a Tuesday night thing and a Sunday night thing, and my wife said, you need to tell her to quit going to so many Bible studies. And I was like, no, honey, I'm not. She's at a state school where Bible study is not normally at the top of the list. My wife is kind of a control freak, as you can tell. And so, no, I'm kidding. I said, baby, it'll all work out. Some of these will fade away. She does need an education. But here's the exciting thing for us. 
Those two big things stuck in her life. And yada means this. In its root, it means to know, not like math facts, not like three times three equals nine. You know, hopefully students, you've got ready for Miss Oliver's class, right? The math facts. Not that kind of knowing, but to know, to acknowledge, to reflect, to submit to, and to experience. Remember in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, some old translations say, Adam knew his wife Eve, Yada, and she became pregnant. It's not physical love, it's this. It's intimate. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, know God. Submit to God. Intimately, intimately reflect on God and experience God. And he will make your paths straight. You have to know and acknowledge, reflect on, submit to, and intimately experience Christ. If you don't get anything else today, get this. Here's the big idea. God will not bring order to the chaos of your life until you yada him. He's not going to bring order to the chaos of your life He's not going to remove that brick wall that you've run into in your faith journey until you fully trust Him. When we adore God, we really know Him, and He will make our paths straight. Here's what's kind of ironic, though. Too many of us think we need to have, we've got this tendency where we want God to prove Himself first. Like the way I described walking on water. We want God to prove Himself first. We need a guarantee. Write this down in your message notes. We want God to prove himself so we can trust him. We want God to prove himself so we can trust him. God, if you'll help me land this promotion, if you'll help me land this big account in sales, well, then I can serve you. God, if, God I want you to prove yourself so then I can trust you. But that's not really trust at all, is it? Don't miss this. Here's the second thing. Don't miss this. God wants us to trust him so he can prove himself. God wants us to trust him so he can prove himself. It doesn't take, it doesn't take faith to do it our way, but it, it takes faith to do it God's way, doesn't it? Look at Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 6. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then in verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible. No theological gymnastics needed there. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now listen to this. You have to believe in that which you cannot prove. You have to believe in that which you cannot prove so that it releases, to God, releases God to do what you can never do. You have to believe in that which you cannot prove so that it releases God to do what you can never do. Listen, faith always comes first. I know my English teacher, Miss A, in high school, senior English, never used superlatives. When it comes to this, we get to. Superlatives, I know you're like, it's not time for a school yet. You know what superlatives are? Always, never, those kind of things. We can say it here. Faith always comes first. It's impossible to please God without faith. You guys know about African impalas? I don't know too much. But here's what I've read. They can jump over 10 feet high. 
when they're running, they can cover a distance 10 feet high and 30 feet long in one jump. But did you know this? Any zoo can keep an, an Africa impala closed in with just a three-foot brick wall. Three-foot brick wall, and the African impala can't jump, even though it's got the skills to jump 10 foot high and 30 feet long. How is that? Well, you see, here's the answer. It's in the instincts of the African impala that it will never, ever jump when it can't see where its feet will land. It will never, ever jump when it can't see where its feet will land. It's in our instincts as sinful human beings to expect God to prove himself before we trust him. But it's a supernatural act to believe God even when you cannot see where your feet are going to fall. When you yada God, when you yada him, you don't need to see where your feet will fall, do you? So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I want you to take that step of faith. In the next 48 hours, whatever you wrote on that line, go back to it, I don't fully trust God with. Or maybe you didn't write it down because you're like, forget you, boy, I'm not writing it down. You told me to do it. I'm not going to let you control me. Okay, whatever. You still know what it is. I don't fully trust God with whatever you wrote. Finances, kids, job, worry, healing, decisions, your future, whatever. I want you to take a step of faith in the next 48 hours and release that to God. Release that to God. What you wrote down or what came screaming into your mind through the Holy Spirit, I want you to release that to God. Here's what you're going to experience if you do it. Here's what you're going to experience. Three blessings you're going to experience from the person of God if you release that to Him and fully trust Him. First of all, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The goodness of God. Secondly, the love of God. The love of God. Third, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. The goodness, the love, and the faithfulness. Look at Psalm 100, verses 3 through 5. The psalmist said this, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him, and praise His name. For the Lord is good, and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Is it about you, or is it about Him? Trust God, and he will prove himself to you. Release that that you're hanging on to in your control-free Christianity. Release it and watch his good, his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness just explode into your life. What's the key? It's entering in. It's action. Entering with thanksgiving and praise, and then experiencing his goodness, his love, and his faithfulness. Listen. God wants you to trust him fully so that he can prove himself fully to you, in you, and through you. Will you let go and trust him today? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to hear some familiar passages, some familiar narratives. Father, but some of us, regardless of how much we know in our intellect about Scripture, some of us are still hanging on to, to something or some things. God, we know that you're the Lord, not a liar.
and you've said in your word that you can be fully trusted. You've proven in the person of Jesus that you can be fully trusted. You've sent your Holy Spirit as another counselor, just like Jesus, to counsel us to just trust and obey. But God, for some goofy reason, we think we can do it better than you can, but we know that we can never lead our own lives, much less our children's lives, better than you ever could. So God, we release today. Some are saying, preacher, I'm not waiting 48 hours. I release this worry, this control. I release this situation, this relationship. I release it to God Almighty. I want to swim in the love and goodness and faithfulness of God Almighty. Praise the Lord. We say praise the Lord. And Father, you're just telling us to get in the wheelbarrow and let you take us across. And so we do that today. Today we trust you. Not just on paper, but in action. We trust you. We pray, God, as we trust you, you would release yourself and your power into our lives. God, if there's somebody here today that hasn't trusted you as Savior, they've never reached out and confessed their sins to you and asked you to forgive their sins and come into their lives and be their forgiver and leader, their Savior and Lord, I pray that they would do that today. There are couples here to pray and help. God, if there's somebody here today who's struggling with something and they just need to be prayed over, they just need to be to be surrounded in prayer by a couple that loves them and will pray for them. God, may they step out. Father, if there's somebody here you're leading to join this church and get off the sidelines and get into the game, may they step out. God, whatever it is you're telling us today, we trust you fully, and we do it in Jesus' name. Amen.